Good morning, City Life. Good morning, online City Life. We're so grateful that all of you are here. I just wanted to initially just start off honestly thanking you all for being on our online service. We know we've been hyping up our in-person service because we're just so excited for it. But for whatever reason, you're online here and we're still grateful that you're here. Grateful that you, we are still being church, that there was something about this morning and being person that uh, got in the way and we're okay with that. We want everyone in our community to know and to feel freedom to, in this time, to be together or to not be together. But we are so grateful to be able to bring the word for you all. There's going to be a church Zoom call after this. We'll put the link in the description and we'll send it out at the end of the service. And today is a special day. It's a special day for me, at least, because this is the last Sunday of our Deepening Our Souls series. Now, a while ago, we interrupted Mark because something important happened, and we didn't want to just go back to the way it was and leave things unaddressed. We wanted to continue to allow this season, all the difficulties of this season, to, speak, to, to allow Scripture to speak to us in all of these areas. And so we turned to First and Second Peter, and we said, First and Second Peter have a lot to say of two Christians in difficult situations, two Christians trying to work out how to live in such a messy world and hold on to Jesus. We hear, we've heard for weeks now Peter's pastoral heart crying out to hold on to Jesus, that we cannot let go of Jesus, that it's the most important thing. And so this Deepening Our Soul series has meant a whole lot to me in my walk, in my trying to make sense of the world, of everything that's going on. And so today we're kind of just wrapping it all up. We have a couple of more verses. We have four verses here at the end, five verses at the end here. And we kind of just want to make one last final sense of all this. What is First and Second Peter telling us as Christians today, Christians who are awaiting of how to live our lives for, with Jesus in all of this chaos? Last week, we talked about the giant sequoias. They were this image of tall, old, lasting strength that they are weathered, that they've been tested. The oldest giant sycamores in Yosemite are over three, around 3,000 years old. And I'm like, wow, what a testament, what a picture of stability and beauty that we have that God gave us to look at and think about Him. That even these tall, giant trees, that they've become fire-resistant, that they can stay in the heat that they can keep out the fires and weather out the storms and live the life that they were meant to live. And what a picture it is for us as believers who, are, who go through the fire, who are tested by everything that goes on in the world in this season that we see so clearly in every season, but especially in this season that we're in. And that, that the seed, the picture that God gave us of the seed of how it needs to be tested through fire to open up and how the fire needs to make room in the ground to clear it all up. What a beautiful picture God has given us in this giant sequoia. That there are places in our lives, and scripture affirms this, there are places in our lives, there's this person that God has made you to be that can only be achieved through trials, through suffering with Jesus. That not all of life's trials are Jesus brought into your life, but that through everything he can get you through and mold you and bring you into greater faith and greater health and a greater image of Him. In 1 Peter 1, 6, verses 6 and 7 talk about having this faith that's been tested, that's more precious than gold, 
that's weighty, that means something, that you can look at and say, well, Jesus has done something to me in my life. And so, and really in a lot of ways, this series has been just answering so many questions, or at least learning how to tackle these questions. Questions like, oh, why is there so many bad things happening? How are we, as God's people, called to live in all of this and change all of this and bring God's kingdom into all of this? That all this chaos and mess and sin, all the things that we see that people do to us and we do to others and ourselves, all of this turmoil that we feel inside. When we read the news, when we see what's happening, when we go out of our streets and get yelled at, all of these things, how all of these things come together and how Jesus can make something good come out of all this. And so really that's what this sermon series has been about and we want to put a little bow on it today with one final idea, one idea that ties these two books together that really just launches us to be able to make more sense of this world and it's really tied to our identity as followers of Him. And so let me pray for us this morning so that we go into this unified, so that we go into this uh, with the Holy Spirit with us to make sense of this last part of His book that He brought to us through Peter. And so please pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for all of my brothers and sisters. I thank you that, uh, that you've kept us this long, that you've sustained us, that you help make sense of the world, that you know our callings, you know the plans that you have for us, you know where it is that we should be going. And so, Jesus, we ask you for one more morning in this sermon series, Lord, will you make First and Second Peter come alive to address our world, to address our hearts, to address our condition, to address all of this, Lord. What is it about all of this that you can be above and say, I got this, and follow me? So, Lord, please speak to us powerfully, Holy Spirit. Do the work that only you can do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord to us. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It says this, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them, of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I love this. Remember, Peter has framed this whole book, Second Peter, as his last testament, as his last reminders to the church. He knows his time is coming and he wants to leave us. And so how does Peter end a letter like this is so crucial and so important. And, and though there's so much that's good in here, there's so much that we could look at, I want to turn our attentions for the sake of this morning to two parts of two verses. See, verse 14 and verse 17 set something up so beautifully in 
how he wants to end these letters. See, verse 14 starts off by saying, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I, I love that because, number one, therefore, beloved, is something that he repeats five times in this last chapter. He wants us to know that you are loved, that I am loved, that we are loved by God. But then there's a therefore. Okay, pay attention to this. Everything I've said is true, so pay attention to this. Since you are waiting for these. I love that. Let's turn to verse 17. Verse 17 starts like this. You, therefore, beloved, again, (laughs) calling us who we really are, beloved by God, you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I, I love how he starts this verse, too, again. He says, you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, because you already know this, because there has been something made for you to listen to, before any of this, make your mind set, know your response, have the game plan in mind. And this is what Peter is saying. He's setting us up to be people who are waiting. People who are waiting on one thing, and that's the return of Jesus. He wants us, he's been working in these two books to tell us, you know what, Jesus is coming back, so hold on to him. There's no better place to be. And he wants us to be people of waiting. And so let's draw two points out of this, out of these two books. What are the two things about us being in waiting that Peter really wants us to never forget? And the first one is called, I've been calling it just your identity. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 12. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, nation, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter wants it to be so evidently clear to all of us, to anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus from the point that he was alive until today and who knows how far into the future, that you are a chosen race. How much does that mean to us right now? How, what a special meaning that means to us today than it did six months ago. That, we, that God has made us a chosen race for his own purposes. That we are a royal priesthood, a combination that existed nowhere in the ancient world. That you could be royal and a priest at the same time is usually a contradiction. But no, we are his heirs. We are heirs to the king and we are a priesthood that's been established to spread his name and his glory here on this earth forever. We can spend all morning just on that one alone. But that we're also a holy nation. That we're this people that God has put together to, be, to belong to one another, to have shared values with one another, to have rituals with one another, to be home with one another, to be a group of people who really belong together. And not based off of blood, not based off of the way we look, but because of our calling how special is that? And then he also calls us a people of his own possession. And that's probably even the most important part, that we belong to him, that he is our God, he are, is our king, that he bought us, he bought our lives, he paid the price that we couldn't, but that we belong to him and we're his and he's jealous for his people. And lastly, that we've received his mercies. 
I mean, let, let, let's just think about that. It says here that we didn't use to receive his mercy, but now because we belong to him, we've said yes to him. We've opened the door to him. We've heard his invite and we've said yes. Now we have mercies. And we have these mercies that never run out. And, and I just love this because Peter wants you to know this is who you are. This is who you are. I wish I could say this all over and over and over again this morning without me getting repetitive. This is who you are. Set aside everything that you think about yourself. Set aside all of the shame and the guilt that you feel and that you even put on yourself at times. Throw that all away. Set that aside for one moment and just hear Peter tell you and through the power of the Holy Spirit that this is who you are, that you are beloved that God has made you into his, uh, one of his people, that he has paid the price for you and said that he, had a, he, he made a good bargain, that he loves you so much, that he calls you to be with other believers and to live in his home. Remember First Peter that we're this living hope, that we have, are being these living stones that are being made into his, a holy temple, a holy home. Set aside everything that the world says about you about you not being good enough, about you needing to accomplish more, or have that degree, or have that job, or make this amount of money, or have this many friends, or fit in this much, or not fit in this much, or be this radical, set that all aside and just know that you are accepted and called by God. The first thing God does to you is shout your identity towards you, now, not just you as a singular individual person, but as a community, us, that we together are his image, that we together are this nation. And I, I love how, Jesus, how Peter just has to let us know that we belong to him. And really, your identity, this is the first part, and there's one that I've missed, and I've been calling this the way of the exile. I got this title from a Bible Project video, but this idea has been around since the church has been around. And it's this, this last name, this last identity, this last thing that Peter writes over us in these couple of identity markers here. Verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Beloved, again, this call, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against you. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. One name out of all of these that he, he separates a little bit. He elevates a little bit. He sets it aside for us to focus on it a little bit more. And that it's that you are, when you belong to him, when you say yes to him, when you say, Jesus, you're my Lord, we become, our identity is that we become sojourners and exiles. And so it's like all of these names, Peter's like, he's starting to, this looks like a Hispanic Latin American name. You have your first name and then all of these names in between. I have like 17 names a part of my name. And then you get to the last name, and these are all, Peter's like, this is all who you are, and the last one that you need to know who you are is that you are a sojourner and you're an exile. And I was shocked when I was reading into this during the study. I, it was like, it's something, I knew it was in the story, but I didn't know it was so much a part of God's story. You look almost anywhere in Scripture and you see sojourners and exiles. 
Adam and Eve, they, and through them, the rest of humanity, we are all exiles from the Garden of Eden. God's original plan for us to be in this garden living with him. Abraham was a sojourner. He didn't even know where he was sojourning to, but God told him to go that he would show him a land. Moses was an exile out of Egypt. For for 40 years, he lived as an exile. All of God's people during the Babylonian and the Persian exile, all of them exiles and sojourners. Jesus himself, as a baby, was was in exile in Egypt. And then as an adult, he, he made the point to live as a sojourner. He had no home. That God's story is made up of sojourners and people in exile is something that I don't think I appreciated that much until, we got, until I got to First and Second Peter. And there's a, lot, there's a lot in here. There's a lot in here to unpack. But for the sake of today, for the sake of this series, two qualities that we need to look at about what it really means, how being a sojourner and in exile really changes the way that we live our life, especially in such a broken world. And these two, these two ideas, these two words are loyalty and subversion. You see, Jeremiah 29 verse 7 talks about a time when, e- when Israel was in exile. They were physically in exile. Babylon had come, destroyed Jerusalem, taken its best and its brightest, and spread them all over the place. And, and this is what God told them in that place. Because they had two options. Fight, resist, or fully accept and become Babylonian. But God had a different way out for them. He said this in Jeremiah 29, 7. He says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find our, your welfare. I, I so God communicates so much in this. That he had a plan, that this wasn't an accident, that he did this on purpose, and that he was with them. And he told them this, you know what? He said, loyalty. You serve this place. I've put you here. Don't become a Babylonian. Don't forget about me. But your welfare is tied to the welfare of this place. Take care of it. <laughs> Don't wish it harm. This follows in the example of Jesus. Bless your enemies. Don't, don't kill, don't go after, don't, don't, be, don't become violent. This is your home and I've put you here. Be loyal to me in this place, but serve this place. And then the other one is subversion. He says, oh, but if you ever, if this new place, if Babylon ever asks you to follow it instead of me, or to do something that you know I've told you not to do, then is where the subversion kicks in. Remember the story where Jesus, where the Pharisees were trying to tempt Jesus. They were trying to get him in trouble. And they said, what do we do about these taxes? What do we do? Should we give this to Caesar? And Jesus is almost like, you know, who cares? Give it to him. His face is on it. It belongs to him. I don't care about this coin. You think God needs this coin? No. But hey, pay it to him. But the second that that Caesar asks you to honor him as God, then you say no. Then you resist. Then you lay down your life. And I I love this. I love how this is the ethic and the example that Jesus taught us. To be loyal, to serve this place, to live for the welfare of this place. Yet, don't let anything become your God other than me. 
Don't let money, don't let status, don't let acceptance, don't let being relevant be your God. Don't try to fit in too much, but yet live in this place. Make good neighbors. Love the people around you. And I, I love this. I think that this is such a subtle thing that changes the way, potentially changes the way we live our entire lives. So God, God in his word gives us one of the most beautiful examples of all this in scripture in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. People who were in the exile, who were plucked out of their homes, given new names, given new clothes, a new way of life. <laughs> if you know the story, may, tried to be made to eat new food. And they say, serve us, serve the welfare of Babylon. And they had the option. Revolt, fight, kill, become totally Babylonian and turn our backs on everything we've ever known. And God told them, you know what, live for me in this new place. I don't need you to kill for me. I don't need you to become, I don't want you to become Babylonian. Now, how many people have made the mistake of killing for the Lord? God doesn't want us to do that. God doesn't want us to become violent for him. He doesn't need that from us. But he said, you know what, live. And at, this, at the point where they're ta- telling you to honor them more than you honor me, you lay down your life. And they did. And God vindicated them and they did not die. And, and something amazing came from that time. But even if it, that doesn't happen, that's the call. That's the tension that Christians, anyone who professes Jesus lives in. Loyalty and subversion. How do I best care for the welfare of my city? How do we here in Jersey City best care for Jersey City, best care for our neighbors, and never let go of Jesus? How do we say no to the world when they're asking us to do things for them that only Jesus deserves? But then every other time, how do we serve this city well? How do we be a part of this city? How do we seek the welfare of this place? That's the tension that Christians in every age will need to answer. Because we are, we are exiles and sojourners. We are never just Americans. We are never just a man. We are never just educated. You are never just your position or your job or how many friends you are. But that you are a follower of Christ before all of those things. And so that's the question. That's the tension. How do we seek the welfare? How do we be loyal and yet subversive when we need to be? And so to conclude, let's just talk about this level of commitment that we need that First and Second Peter have been talking so much about. So to conclude, I want to talk about this commitment, this commitment to living this sojourning and exiling life. You know, I, I looked at the calendar this morning. It's been almost 200 days since we've been together in person. And in the meantime, we're, we've been going through a global pandemic, trying to navigate How do we not get sick? How do we care for the people around us? How do we be a good neighbor? And what do we do with all these crazy stories that keep coming up in the news? How do we best serve the people that we know and love and our neighbors who we are called to care for? We've also been a witness to the boiling over of all the racial tension and hatred and division in our country that is over 400 years old. Not a new problem an old problem in this country. How, how do we deal with all of this? At times, the, the simplest, the most neutered explanations is that this season has been dizzying 
and that it has just been harsh. How do we bring our faith into all of this? How do we say, Lord, what does it mean to be a sojourner and an exiler in this time? How do we make sense of all of this? How in all of this craziness are we supposed to live a life that changes us and changes the world around us without us and in our own effort? This is just too big and it really is. And so today I don't have a lot of questions. We're also facing an election season, right? And a particularly divisive one, especially in the church. The church is not, has not been any better than the rest of the world in this season. Everyone convinced that who they believe in is God's chosen candidate. So how do we honestly look at ourselves and say, Jesus, what, how do we do this? How do we be these Christians that are so transformed by you, who look like you and are growing in our knowledge of you? How do we follow in your example? And I'm not here to answer to you who you should vote for or what kind of attitude you should take in life or what you specifically need to do to address racial inequality in the world. As a church, we're going through that. I don't know how to best keep you and your family safe from the pandemic other than, hey, wear a mask, stay inside as much as you can, be smart. But what I do know that we need to talk about today to finish this series is commitment. I want to read from us a portion of a diary entry from a priest, a Zimbabwean priest in Africa who was martyred days after he wrote this journal entry. He had this experience with Jesus that so changed him, that so marked him, that only a few days after this he was killed for it. And it reads like this. It says, he wrote, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. I stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sidewalking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, and tame vision worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, position, promotion, applause, or popularity. I don't have to be first or right, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on His presence, walk by patience. I am uplifted by prayer and labor by power. My face is set, my gait is fast, My goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough. My companions are few, my God God reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of my adversaries, negotiate at the table of my enemy, or ponder at the pool of popularity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Church, this is the level of commitment and passion 
the level of devotion that we need to brew in our community and in our own faiths to live as these sojourning Christians, these exiling Christians that say, you know what, Lord, I need you and I need you before me. You need to show me where to go, just like Abraham. Show me the land that you are bringing me to. I think it's out of this position of saying, Jesus, I am no longer who I used to be. I no longer belong to this world, so show me where to go. Show me what to do. Show me how to make sense of all this. Show me the perspective and the worldview that I need from you to humbly serve you, to go after all the things that you deem as important, to not waste my time with violent actions that you're not asking me to be, to seek the welfare of the place that I'm supposed to be doing, and to be subversive, to say no to the world every time, no matter what the cost, even if I have to lay down my life. And so, church, in the face of all of the light, all of the world's struggles, of the trials, of the plans of the enemy, I think the perspective that we need to take that Scripture tells us here in First and Second Peter is, you know what? Follow Jesus because you don't belong here anymore. Hold on to him and he'll produce something that's more valuable than gold. That's something that's precious and real and heavy and changes the rest of your life. Now, this sermon isn't about a lot of questions of telling you how to live your life other than it's honestly before the Lord and doing this with one another. That's the hope and the vision of this series over these last couple of weeks, bunch of weeks, is to let Jesus reign more and more as our king and for us to look at him and say, Jesus, where are you taking us? And then to process this as a community. Today, even today, a lot of the merit and of the gold of today is going to be done through our processing after this on a Zoom call. And so church, here are some prompt questions for us to be able to wrestle with these, to be able to make sense of all of this, to be able to wrap up this sermon series and say, Jesus, what is it that you're calling us to do? How do we live our lives in all of this mess and let you produce something good in us and in the world around us? All right, church, we're so happy to jump on the Zoom call together. We're going to have a leader and they're going to just mold how the conversation is going. But here are our prompt questions for the morning. Prompt question number one. What do you think being a sojourner and an exile means? This can mean a lot of things and we can take a lot of unhealthy things out of this. So let's digest this together as a group. What does it really mean? How does it hold up with the rest of scripture and the example left by Jesus and how does being a sojourner and an exile make us live more devoted lives for Christ? Prompt question number two. How can the calling to be a sojourner and an exile change the way you live your life? How does it practically change how you make your decisions, where you spend your money, who you're going to vote for, how deeply devoted you are going to be, how far you're willing to push, How does this new identity that we've been given change the way we practically and big picture live our lives? And so church, again, we're so happy that you've joined us online. We'll be together online next week. I can't wait to be together with everyone at some point in the future. We'll be praying for you. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.